Amen. Give it up for Caleb, everybody. He was my old roommate for a year in college. It was awesome. Um, what's up, guys? My name is Anders. I'm one of the residents down in Iowa City. Pretty exciting stuff, about a half hour down the road. So, Cedar Rapids. This is my first time here. This is a pretty cool building. I really like, I really like it. It's pretty sweet. So, I want to introduce myself a little bit before we get started. I um, have been in the Iowa City area for about six years now. Super um, excited and proud to be actually a resident of, of Tiffin, Iowa now, which is pretty cool. Make some noise for Tiffin. Anybody? Yeah? Okay. Yeah. That's what's up. Okay. So, I've been married for two years. I met my wife at Salt in college, so just saying. It's pretty cool. We've been married for two years, and we have a dog named Remy who's at home right now, and he's a boy. He's a good guy. So, that's pretty much all you need to know about me. My first, um, yeah, just thing I want to talk about is the book of Matthew. We're going through our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And what's cool is we're, kinda, we're gonna jump right in a little bit tonight. Jesus is going to communicate some truths that are extremely important in how we live our lives and how we actually live in relationship to other people, okay? And my goal tonight is to keep us on the right path and along the way as we're going down this journey together to point out some ways that if we wander off, that we can actually ruin our lives. So let me remind us of who Jesus is preaching to, because we're kind of in the middle of this sermon series, right? Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus's most famous sermons. Who was he even talking to? It's crucial if we want to understand how this sermon should apply to our lives. So we actually know who is the original audience that's hearing this. So open your Bible to Matthew 4, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, at the very end of Matthew 4, just says, it kind of says who he's talking to here. Matthew 4, starting in verse 23, says this. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases, intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Okay, so we see in these verses that Jesus, he's teaching many afflicted, disease-filled, pain-ridden, epileptic, demon-possessed, paralytic people, but many of these people couldn't even get to Jesus on their own. So the friends or family or maybe others in these marginalized groups kind of banded up together to go hear about this Messiah, this teacher that was going throughout Galilee. And there's also this weird mix of like religious elites, like there's these Pharisees and there's these Jewish leaders that are like welcoming Jesus into their synagogue to kind of like see what he's all about. So there's this like hodgepodge of people, like religious elites to marginalized, unclean people groups coming to listen to what this man has to say. Here's one cool thing, not really related to the sermon we're going to be looking at tonight in, in chapter seven, but one cool thing I learned about Jesus's ministry is we hear the word Galilee a lot. And usually it's like, oh, is that just like a village or is that like a town or something? Like, what is that? Like, Jesus' ministry mainly happened in Galilee, like around the sea. Like, 
What does that even mean? And I thought it was sweet that there's this region called Galilee that has over 200 cities and villages all over it. Upwards of 3 million people Jesus is reaching. So I think this is important for us to realize that, like, we can kind of look at these words or these villages or these names of regions and places as just kind of not too big of a task or not much in our eyes. But in reality, what I want to draw attention to is that the mission of Jesus Christ was extensive. And it reached a lot of people and it impacted a lot of people's lives. So as Jesus begins, he preaches this sermon and he's focused on the kingdom of heaven and what living as a part of Jesus' kingdom is like. And through the first couple chapters, like chapters five and six, we saw all of these like focused points of the internal spiritual life. So for example, like we had like giving or prayer or fasting or anxiety or like adultery coming from like within our own heart, like all of these like internal spiritual life issues. But where we'll be tonight in Matthew chapter 7, we see Jesus shift to a new idea. He moves from the internal life to the external. And before we get into the text tonight, I want to kind of set the stage for us, okay? I want to tell you guys a story. So Jesus, he calls us to live in a certain way when it comes to our relationships with other people. And we're going to see him address how we actually have a tendency to judge people or to actually be kind of like hypocritical and like the way that we actually act towards people. Like we say, don't do that, then we do it ourselves. Like, okay, here, so here's a story of when I was a hypocrite one time. Does anyone ever get like road rage here? Be honest. Jordan does. Okay, cool. Couple people. Yeah, be honest. Raise a hands. Yeah, I, okay, cool. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, if I was sitting in your seat back in college, I would have never raised my hand, ever. Like, I always kind of prided myself on not getting mad behind the wheel. I was cool. Like, it was fine. No worries at all. I thought I had that down, but then I got married. And I love my wife. She's amazing. But when you get married, you have a co-pilot. And she can kind of, like, see what you're doing and how you're responding to certain situations, right? So it turns out I kind of have road rage sometimes. So, for example, I can get like right behind people and like on the highway and just kind of like ride their bumper, like ride their butt really close. And I'm like, this is fine. And they need to move over because I need to keep going. I got places to be. But, I know, yeah. But here's the kicker. If I'm driving along and I see someone like remotely even close to me in like my rear view mirror, like I'm totally annoyed. I'm pissed. I'm pissed off at them. I don't want, I don't want any of that. I don't want them to hit my Honda CRV. And the moral of the story <laughs> is I'm a total hypocrite when I drive. I expect people to treat me a certain way and I walk all over them. It's crazy. Like I don't, I was blind to that. The thing is that I hold people to a super high standard, but don't hold myself to that same standard. And we're going to read in Matthew 7 tonight about a similar situation, not necessarily road rage, but about two brothers, one being blind to their sin, but just actually choosing to point out the sin in others. And we see that if we live our lives unchecked, 
we can actually ruin them. And this is actually a great way to destroy relationships. So here's our big idea for the night. Big idea is three ways to ruin your life. Three ways to ruin your life. And as we go through this text, I'm going to show you three ways we can ruin our lives. And we're going to call those three things, three bad ideas. Bad ideas never end up good. So read with me in chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Okay. So we see this first chunk this can kind of sting. Honestly, like, if we're being honest, if we've read this before, if we're revisiting this, do not judge. How are you guys doing with that? I felt the conviction reading this, and this was a part of scripture I needed to hear this week. Just so you know where I'm coming from, when I warn us about the ways that we can ruin our lives and we can become judgmental people, I want us to all know we're in danger. So my question as we're looking at these verses is this. What is Jesus inferring here? Like what is Jesus getting at with all of this judgment talk? He's saying that all of humanity actually wants to be the judge. There's something in us that wants to be the judge. And it comes so naturally for us to cast judgment on others, and we want to have the authority to actually like condemn other people, or you just see that in culture where people are just going to like praise people for certain things they do and just condemn them for certain things that they've said or maybe a stance they've taken. If you look at social media or maybe people like literally make careers focused on judging people, whether it's commentators or political candidates or you name it, YouTubers, news outlets. There's something inside of us as humans that is looking to judge people, and we want to do it all the time. And Jesus enters the picture with a very straightforward command, do not judge so that you won't be judged. This is crazy. But an important caveat here is this. Jesus, he's actually not prohibiting us to judge anybody ever again. He's not just saying, nope, that's completely off the table for all of humanity. No. What he is prohibiting is this spirit of condemnation that we as sinners often have when we judge people. Like we actually like assume the worst in people or we look at their flaws before we look at the rest of their life or so on and so forth. We come with this condemning attitude. Jesus, he's actually calling our judgment of others to be completely fair. And because of our sinful nature, we can actually have a skewed view of what is just and what is right and what is really true. And in other parts of scripture, he actually encourages us to judge the character of others or to, you know, examine other people's lives or people you may see in leadership, examine their lives. And people can, they can take this verse out of context really easily and misinterpret it, especially verse 1 where it says, do not judge 
they can kind of take that and say, well, I think Jesus is just saying any lifestyle goes. Like anything you want to do, any teaching you hear, like anything is good. It's totally fine. Like live and let live. Like that's exactly the opposite of what he's saying here. Here's the core of what he's getting at. He's passionate about justice and people being judged rightly. And he cares that all judgment is fair and is right and is true. So he used an illustration to make his point. He talks to two brothers, one with a splinter in his eye, the other with a beam of wood or like this huge log coming out of his eye. And here's what he's saying. He's like, how can you judge people and condemn them for like the splinter-sized problems you see in their life when you have a beam of wood, this huge problem in your own life, and you just seem to be blind to it? We point out the little flaws in others when we have a laundry list of our own sin that we bring to the table. And just like road rage, we think it's fine when we're in the driver's seat. We think we can drive how we want, even if it's affecting other people, because we're blind to it. But whenever someone else drives in a way we don't like, we're the first one to point the finger at them, or to yell at them, or to call out their wrongs. Bad idea number one is this. Point out other people's sin and not our own. Point out other people's sin and not our own. A quote that I found as I was studying says this. It says, Jesus shows how we are generally far more tolerant of our own sin than we are to the sin of others. So here's my question to you. Who in your life do you judge out of a spirit of condemnation? Maybe it's a parent or a roommate or a significant other, family member, whatever it may be. Hear me now. That is not how Jesus calls you to treat other people. Because that is not how he treated you, not how he treated me. Jesus was the perfect example of seeing people worthy of judgment, worthy of condemnation. But he actually laid down his life to reconcile them to himself to keep them in relationship, the opposite of what our culture does. Our culture wants to cancel people or to kick them to the curb when one wrong thing is said. And Jesus is saying, no, I want to redeem you. So how do we apply this? There's a lot of application here, but here's one. Next time someone upsets you or like really inconveniences you, remember the beam of wood that Jesus saw in you. But he loved you anyways. Remember to be gracious with others because Jesus Christ was gracious and merciful to you even when you didn't deserve it. So let's keep reading here in verse 6. It says this, Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet. Turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus is continuing to explain how we are to approach other people. He's talking pigs and dogs, but here's what he's saying. If you know Jesus, you know what is holy, and you know what is true. But there are people that want nothing to do with Jesus or the message of the gospel. And yes, the gospel of Jesus Christ is what everybody needs to hear. It's what everybody needs to surrender Two, but the harsh reality is that some people won't 
hear it. They don't want to. He talks about what is holy. Or he talks about this pearl as you're giving a pearl to a pig. Like, what does that mean? And it's like the dog and the pig, they don't want anything to do with this. Like, how useful is a pearl or how useful is something holy to a dog? And if we walk up to people who aren't following Jesus and we start digging up all the sin that we see in their life, or maybe we start throwing our pearls of wisdom at them or start throwing or kind of like lording our holiness over people, I don't think that's going to go very well. And this is what Jesus is saying here. He says, so let me just kind of explain this a little bit better in an illustration. So imagine this. You've been driving down the freeway. We're doing a lot of car things tonight. I got stuck on the road rage thing. We've been driving down the freeway all day. And you've been like playing slingshot with this other car. So you're like going back and forth and back and forth. And you're passing each other and you keep like looking at each other. You're just ready to go. You got somewhere to be on and on. And suddenly you're coming up behind them and they give you a nice little brake check. Okay. Has anyone ever been brake checked before? Doesn't feel good. Yeah. I see you raise your hand a lot tonight. Okay. So you can kind of see them looking at you, like they're kind of looking over their shoulder, thinking like they're kind of mad. You can tell that they're angry, probably visibly angry. So here's what happens. You pull into town and you both come to the stoplight. Here's the question. What are you going to do? Are you going to like pull up all the way and look at them? Or are you just going to like sit back here and just pretend like nothing happened like the entire time? Do you get out of your car and go talk to them? No, because they're probably going to beat you up, right? <laughs> Do you want to get beat up? No, me neither. Okay. That's the same situation we see here in verse 6. If you try to correct people on their sin that want nothing to do with Jesus, that are just asking for a fight, the text says this. It says, no, they're actually going to turn to you and tear you to pieces. Like, just like someone who's really upset on the road, like, they're going to turn to you and tear you to pieces. Maybe, hopefully not. But the illustration is that Jesus is not talking about calling out people in the church, but he's talking about those that are hostile to the gospel. He's like, there comes a point where we need to use discernment, and we can't just call out every single person we see, because that might not actually be helpful. Bad idea number two, call out people for their sin that don't want to do, want anything to do with Jesus. Call people out for their sin that want nothing to do with Jesus, okay? Proverbs 9, 7 through 8 says this. Let me explain this point a bit. The one who corrects a mocker or someone who is like hostile will bring abuse on himself. Or the one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. What Jesus is calling us to is to use discernment. Like if you, sign, if you find some random person on the street and you don't know their story, it's probably not a good idea to start grilling them with questions and kind of like projecting your holiness on them, projecting your wisdom on them. He's calling us to use discernment when it comes to people that don't want anything to do with his church. 
So let's recap. We see that Jesus calls us to look at our own sin first, to not be the hypocrite. And he calls us to judge people as graciously as he's been with us and to use discernment if and when we need to actually call people out. And I think how Jesus ends this section of the sermon here is amazing. Jesus ends this with an invitation. So read the end with me, verses 7 through 12 together. It says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Okay. So we see these verses here. Jesus is showing us the problem that we've had all along. We see that we want to judge people. We want to actually condemn people. We want to actually like take the role of God as judge. And something very common even in our culture is we want to do life all on our own. And you might ask, well, what does that have to do with like prayer? What does that have to do with like asking or seeking God in my life? What Jesus is doing here is he's actually trying to put us into a posture of surrender. What does he say? He says, ask. Seek. Knock. Jesus is inviting us to leave our self-reliance at the door and to surrender and to come under him for guidance. To actually look to him for the right way to live our lives or with humility to come before God and ask him, what should we do? How should we approach our relationships? Are you asking God? Are you seeking God for that? Are you asking for discernment when it comes to confronting people in the hardest situations in your life? Are you seeking his word to find rest in your struggles? Knock on his door for the answers. Listen to me. God wants to provide for you. We see here that he wants to lavish you with good gifts, with good things. He wants to graciously do this. And here is my question. Are you actually seeking him? Have you knocked on his door? The last bad idea of the night is this. Never knock on God's door. Never knock on God's door. Let me illustrate this. So imagine you've gotten all of your road rage out of the way, right? And it turns out you were in a hurry for a good reason. And the whole time you've actually been late to a first date. Has anyone been on a first date recently? Raise your hands. No? Oh, cool. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, road rage was a small hurdle to jump over because you had love on your mind, right? Butterflies in your stomach, probably. 
So imagine this, you pull into the neighborhood, you got your maps up, you get off the freeway, you're done kind of chasing people back and forth, whatever, and you're just kind of like getting ready to, you know, prep yourself to find the house number, right? Which one is it? Is it 21? Is it 22? 23? What is it? Okay. You find your house number. I'm a guy, so I'm going to be the guy in the story. But imagine all the girls here, imagine you're just waiting behind the door, ready for him to pick you up. You did your makeup, you're ready to go, you're excited, whatever. So, it's going to be awesome. He unbuckles his seatbelt, starts walking down the driveway, and he's standing in front of the door. And he stands there. And he just starts thinking, you know, thinking. But then he ends up walking away, thinking, I can't do this. There's no way I'm worthy to go out with this person. There's no way I can actually pull this off. No way. I can't open the door. Here's the problem. We're out of the story now. This is what some of you are doing with God. You come to Salt Company. You maybe even show up to your connection group. or You jump into a Bible study or you walk right up to the door of life with God. But you don't knock. You don't knock. Here's what I want to leave us with. God is waiting for you to knock on his door. And he wants you to seek him. Look at verse 11. So sweet. It says, how much more will your father in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. Here's something amazing. On our own, we would never be able to approach God. And God, knowing that, in his mercy towards us, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and live the life that we could never live, to be sinless before us. We bring a lot of sin to the table. And what Jesus did for you is he gave up his own life and put it in place of God's wrath for you. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus choose to lay down his life for you? And he did that so that you could come home. So that you could actually be welcomed into the family of God with open arms. Listen to me. God is just waiting to swing that door wide open and welcome you in. He wants to embrace you. He wants to be your father. He wants to lavish you with good gifts. This is the truth that we have a God that loves us. So knock. Some of you are on the fence with Christianity. Some of you are on the fence with Jesus Christ. Knock. Seek him. His way leads to life. And for the Christian in the room tonight, what does Jesus say in verse 12? He says, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Christian, what's the best thing someone's ever done for you? Look at what Jesus did. 
Go out from here seeking, asking God, knocking your way through every single day of your life. What if we were a people that actually took this part of the Sermon on the Mount seriously? A room, a place here in Cedar Rapids where we stopped being hypocrites and we actually owned our own sin. And we actually found true freedom in Christ. Or what if this room was a place full of Christians that were actually full of godly wisdom and discernment beyond their years, knowing how to navigate the toughest situations, the hardest soil, the people that are the most difficult to be around in your life? What if we were a people that knew how to navigate that, that relied on the discernment of Christ? Or what if for the first time you actually just surrendered your life to a God that wants to lavish you with blessing? And maybe that's for the thousandth time that you would once again just give your life over to him again. His mercies are always new. Every morning, they're new. So may we be a people that surrenders, surrenders our life because there's true forgiveness in our Jesus King. And what if we were people that actually surrendered it all for his kingdom and for his glory? That we would actually go out from these walls and not just keep this message of gospel truth to ourselves, but that we'd take the message of Jesus all over this city. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are holy. God, I feel like um, just the prayer um, I've had this week is, Lord, have mercy on me. A sinner, Lord. You are so worthy to be praised. You are worthy of our worship. God, you are worthy to be ascribed all glory and majesty and honor and weight. Lord, you are perfect. And we are the hypocrites and the judgmental people that you call your sons and your daughters. And you actually welcome us into your house. Lord, thank you for making a way for us to seek you making a way for us to knock on your door, to actually enter into eternal life, to true life, to abundant life that is found in the person of Jesus Christ, Lord. May we be a people that knows you as Savior, knows you as friend, and as Father and as Lord, and as Redeemer. God, we are so thankful for you and what you've done. Thank you. In Jesus' name.